Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, February 6th, and we are reading from Chapter 8 of the Big Book, Two Wives, beginning on page 118. Today's readers are, in the order they will be reading, Michelle, Sharon, Judy B., and Fran. The share code for yesterday's meeting, which was Tuesday, February 5th, is 3836. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 steps. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Minnesota today. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such, pe- such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. 
Margaret Kay, would you please read the 12 traditions? Good morning. Good morning, Vision, for you. Uh, my name is Margaret Kay in New Jersey. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one excuse me, ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name would never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relation policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Annie Pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for our readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions to the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we will resume our study of the Big Book, Chapter 8, Two Wives, on page 118, the first paragraph at the top of the page, beginning you and your husband. I will ask Michelle to begin reading, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. You and your husband will find that you can dispose of serious problems easier than you can the trivial ones. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. And um, 
As I was reading this paragraph, um, the word that, that jumped out at me was um, privilege. It should be the privilege. And um, I got curious, and I, I looked it up to see what the Big Book Dictionary said and gave three definitions. It said privilege means benefit, favor, um, or opportunity. And, um, you know, going back to page 117, it was reminding um, reminding the wives, the chapter to the wives, that um, that these uh, workouts um, that they're going to go through um, with their spouses um, in recovery, they, they're regarded as part of education. Um, it's a way of learning to live. So here, here's, an, here's an opportunity with something small, something trivial, something that um, is going to cause, it's not a big thing, but it's going to cause this heated discussion. And, and it's a privilege. It's an opportunity um, to be able to practice um, the education that I'm learning to live on a spiritual basis. And um, the other interesting word was smile. Um, well, you know, when I was in a heated discussion over something trivial, I didn't think it would be possible for me to smile um, and and then respond. Um, but, you know, that, that did happen to me recently. And what that smile was, um, it was an inward smile. It wasn't like the old me when I would smirk and, um, you know, have something um, not pleasant to say. Um, but it was a way of relaxing and taking it easy. It's like, oh, um, you know, this is you know, this is silly. I'm in this discussion with my husband, and it's something very, very trivial. And I just smiled, and I felt God's presence. Um, I couldn't remember these exact words, but I remember saying to him, you know, maybe we should talk about this later. Um, I think it's really important, now that I'm seeing these words, that I'm sorry I got disturbed. Um, you know, that puts me in a position of humility. Uh, that helps me to, to live on a spiritual basis, put me in, in my right place. Um, God, God is first. And um, you know, it elevates that relationship. It elevates that conversation. You know, God is there. God is present. And this so reminds me of that, um, I guess it's, it's called the resentment prayer on pa- the top of page 67. It says something very similar, you know, that, you know, when people, we may not like the way, well, I'll read what the big book says. It says, though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. Um, so, you know, here it is, we're saying the wives are sick and the spouse are sick um, as we're, we're trying to repair this relationship, restore the relationship. So we ask God, um, so that, you know, that privilege, that smile, we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience as we would cheerfully, there's the smile, grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Um, thy will be done. So here's this heated discussion over something trivial, uh, like a friend likes to remind me. It's like that little pebble in my shoe. It's very small, but it's very irritating, and um, and I can stop and take care of it. And um, same same way, I'm going to stop here before this escalates, and um, you know, feel God's presence, and try to live on that spiritual basis in all things, in all areas of my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Would someone else care to comment on what was just read? Good morning. This is Margaret, New Jersey. Margaret, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. This is Margaret, recovered uh, compulsive eater in New Jersey. Uh, one of my greatest character defects was with, when, with my husband was when something was on my mind. If he just walked through the door from a hard day's work, I, I didn't have any consideration for him. I wanted to get it off my mind. I wanted to tell him then. Because I just did not know how to um, 
moderate my thinking and say, this is not the time to do this, you know, allow him to come in and, and relax and take it easy and, you know, at another time. And, you know, that character defect caused a lot of havoc in my life because he was always so frustrated with me because he was tired when I was bringing up a situation that could have waited. It wasn't an emergency. And and that's what's so important here where it says it's it's not, you know, it's, it's the little things, you know, but that... That little change in my personality to have the ability to wait, you know, to, to have the patience to wait for an opportunity where a discussion for a situation that's going on is just a better timing has been, you know, has been a long journey, but it's, it makes a huge difference in, um, in our relationship. You know, I don't have to just blurt everything out of my mouth that's in my brain today and that's you know that's just wonderful so um that's the little things that make a big difference in a relationship and with that i'll pass thanks thank you margaret would someone else like to comment on what was read well this is victoria i will comment briefly on what was read. Um, the part of this paragraph that really mirrored myself back to me was finding that I could dispose of serious problems easier than the trivial ones as a practicing compulsive overeater. Um, I learned that restraint of tongue and pen was going to be crucial to my recovery. I also learned that much of my problem resided in my mind. Not only the food obsession, but as a practicing addict with many years of practicing my addiction, my, my thinking had become distorted in ways common to many addicts. And a couple of those ways included rationalization and minimization. And this was one of those situations where I really strongly veered towards rationalization and minimization. I found it much easier, as the paragraph said, to be willing to practice these principles in serious matters. But in the trivial ones, that's where my rationalization and minimization would pop right up. I would tell myself, looking back, I couldn't be that honest with myself at the time, but my inner conversation went something like, well, this this is not a big deal. This is a small thing. I can surely handle this because it's small. In other words, I don't, I don't think I need, I don't need any help with this. Um, I'm, I'm okay on my own. It's small potatoes. And the fact was, um, I did need help with it. I found it very difficult to summon the willingness to practice these principles um, in, in a trivial situation. And the language which is given here to say, this is getting serious, I'm sorry, I got disturbed, let's talk about it later. There were many times I would attempt to speak these words in the heat of a trivial, a trivial discussion or argument where I would almost have to choke them out if I could say them at all. And in that way, uh, I was getting the education that was referred to earlier in this chapter about my defects of character, my lack of willingness, and where it took me. Because my failure 
to practice that kind of patience and um, humility invariably turn to something trivial into something much bigger. And practiced often enough would set my recovery back. So with that, I'll pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? Good morning. It's Leah. Leah, good morning. Go ahead, please. Hi, Victoria. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. This is huge, (laughs) huge stuff here. Uh, Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Let's talk about it later. Um, You know, perhaps some of you are rolling your eyeballs to the back of your head thinking, this is impossible, this is never going to happen in my marriage. But, um, you know, this is the stability and the emotional maturity that can occur through the implementation of this program of recovery for both partners, you know, and and again, even if the alcoholic is the only one that implements it, it takes two to tango. Even if the alcoholic is the only one to change his behavior, that automatically changes the behavior of the other person. Uh, it's like uh, playing tennis. If only one person hits the ball over the net, uh, you know, well, if the person decides not to hit the ball, uh, there's no tennis game, you know, occurring. So, uh, you know, it is possible to have this kind of stabilization. Obviously, this chapter is directed to the wives, but the wisdom here and the message of hope here is for all of us because it's based on spiritual principles. Next time you and he have a heated discussion, no matter what the subject, it should be the privilege. What does privilege mean? Privilege means choice or choosing. Today we have a choice. I have a choice. Every interaction with my spouse or every interaction with my child, I have a choice to either react or to respond. And the best way for me to prepare my mind for a response is to pause. Pray and use spiritual energy to realign myself with God in that moment so that when I do respond, I am being governed by a higher authority. I'm being governed not by my emotion, not by my reaction to a situation, my anger or resentment or frustration. I'm responding with the spiritual principles like love, like tolerance, like kindness, forgiveness. Can I bring someone comfort right now? Can I understand that they're doing the best that they can? What is the loving thing I can do right now? for this person? Is the other person doing the best he or she can? If I pause, because I have the privilege to pause today, then I have the opportunity to realign myself. Because it's saying here, it should be the privilege of either to smile and say, you know what, this is getting serious. I'm sorry I got disturbed. Because it's a spiritual axiom, when I am, whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. There is something wrong with me. Why is that? How is that? He did this. You know, don't I have a right to be disturbed? No, because every problem is a spiritual problem. 
Every problem is a spiritual problem. Let's talk about it later. So this pause, this time away from that situation allows for a realignment because my partnership with God includes the agreement that if I do a thing for the right motive and I leave the results entirely up to my higher power, everything will turn out precisely the way it is supposed to. And love is always a right motive. Love is always a right motive. If your husband is trying to live on a spiritual basis, he will also be doing everything in his power to avoid disagreement or contention. So today, you know, I can refrain from debate and conflict. I have an opportunity to bring harmony to, to a situation as long as I am in harmony with God. And how is that possible? Through the steps through implementation of these steps, which step applies to the situation, Leah? When I get heated, when I'm getting disturbed, and I can step out of a situation, out of the, the, um, the conversation, and I can say to myself, self, which step applies to this situation? And you know what? I have never failed to find an answer to that question, to that problem in one or more of the steps. That's the program of recovery. And that's the message of hope. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Um, let's see. Sharon, could you move on um, by reading the next paragraph, please? Absolutely. Thank you, Victoria. This is Sharon, a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Good morning to all of you. Your husband knows he owes you more than sobriety. He wants to make good, yet you must not expect too much. His ways of thinking and doing are the habit of years. Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love are the watchwords. Show him those things in yourself, and they will be reflected back to you from him. Live and let live is the rule. If you both show a willingness to remedy your defects, there will be little need to criticize each other. A few things come to mind here. First of all, it says in the first sentence, your husband knows he owes you more than sobriety. So when we say abstinence is all I need or abstinence is enough, what uh, we just cannot just focus on being abstinent. Although I have to tell you when I first got my abstinence. I felt like that's all that I could focus on. That's all that I could think about was was doing my food, getting it, uh, making sure that I was eating what I had reported, making sure I was working my program. That I had to really struggle. And I also had to make sure that I did my duties around my home because I have responsibilities, and I needed to make sure that I did my responsibilities. We also have a responsibility in our home to be loving and kind, patient and tolerant, understanding. These are responsibilities. These are things that that we need to do on a regular basis. So as we're being abstinent, as we're focusing on our recovery, part of our recovery is changing the way we think, the way we act upon life. Uh, 
so that we get out of reactionary mode and get into being purposeful and doing the right thing. So what we find is that, however, when we get abstinent, we find that we still have these old habits and patterns. And with our spouses, these habits and patterns show up most strongly. And so we'll have a habit of of the quick retort. We'll have old resentments. Me, for instance, I had so many deep, deep resentments that it was so very, very difficult for me. Even after I had gone through my fourth step, it seemed like I would just pull up these resentments. And what I found is it's taken a lot, a lot of time to get over those old resentments. But one thing that has been helpful is the the phrase act as if and whenever I can whenever I could I would I would step into this uh, what it says here patience patience tolerance understanding and love are the watchwords. so I would act as if I would whenever possible say loving things do loving things step outside of my comfort zone step out of, of that habit those habits and be purposeful toward doing and saying and acting loving. And I found that when I did that, when I was purposeful, when I uh, purposefully stepped out of my comfort zone, when I purposefully played the role of the grown-up and stopped expecting that that, well, first, if you act this way, then I will act that way and stop waiting for him and started being proactive, I found that inevitably he would feed back, mirror back to me that same patience and tolerance and understanding that I gave to him. It was, uh, it, it inevitably, it never failed. I want to just real briefly also look at page 152 here in the in the 12 in, in the big book yes there is a substitute that is vastly more than that and what it is a fellowship of alcoholics anonymous there you will find release from care boredom and worry your imagination will be fired life will mean something at last the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead thus we find the fellowship and so will you what i i tie that paragraph that paragraph came to mind because this is difficult stuff in our intimate relationships where we have those oftentimes those deep resentments not everyone comes in with them but oftentimes we in our most intimate and personal relationships we we have hurt them deeply they've hurt us deeply and now we're in recovery it is so important it has been so important for me to really grab hold of my fellowship, grab hold of this, of the fellowship of the program so that I can have a place where I can safely be that new person, where I can safely step out of that habit where I'm not being constantly sucked back into the old ways of doing things. And with my program with me, it has been a real substitute in my life for, uh, 
having that safe haven to to grow uh, that we often think of our that our home should be, but as a result of our addiction and and the issues that we have, our our home is no longer that is not often and always that place where when, where we can safely grow when we first start in our recovery. And so our program, a solid program where we have relationships with our fellows, where we're hearing ourselves, where we talk about what's real, what's deep, what's down inside, where we can get reflected back to us who who we are and how we're how we sound. And when we have those uh, issues that we just can't seem to let go of, that we have a fellow that we can freely speak to, knowing that that's not gonna, uh, that there's complete anonymity, and um, that we will get programs spoken back to us. This is really critical for our recovery and for us to develop that patience, tolerance, and understanding and love that we're called upon to exercise in our homes each day. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Who else would like to share on what was just read? This is Kim. Kim, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. It says here, your husband knows. He knows. He owes you more than sobriety. He wants to make good. I have to say, that wasn't true for me for many years in OA. I didn't think I owed anyone more than my being absent. You should be just darn grateful that I am not eating. You should be darn grateful that I'm not fat anymore. And that's it. Put up with me. Don't think about it. You know, so, so what is OA about? Is OA about just having a food plan? Is OA just about getting to your goal weight? No, it's not. The saying here. His ways of thinking and doing are habits of years. So what do we need to do in Overeaters Anonymous? Yes, we have this allergy of the body. And that we treat with abstinence. But that will not treat a larger aspect of our disease, which is the obsession of the mind. So Overeaters Anonymous, this 12-step program is about change. We need to change. Those old habits, those old ideas have to be discarded. They have to be cast aside. So I'm going to read from page 27 when Dr. Young is telling Roland Hazard, you know, what he has to do. If he is, he is hopeless, he will be doomed to this alcoholic death if he does not change. And that Dr. Young, one of the most prominent psychiatrists of that time, could not help him. So he says, Dr. Young, what can I do? Is there an exception? So he says, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what they call vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are a phenomenon. They appear in the nature of huge emotional displacements, which is change, and rearrangements, which is change. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, were suddenly cast aside. Change. And a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. Change. In fact, I've been trying to reduce on such emotional rearrangement change within you. So that is what this this alcoholic is going through, that emotional rearrangement, that casting aside of old ideas. And they're asking the wife, you know, to not expect too much, to be loving, to be tolerant, to be patient, as this alcoholic is navigating all these incredible changes he must do if he wants to be recovered. If he wants to live in a life of happy, joyous, and free, he needs to cast aside those old ideas. 
And that last sentence, if you both, if you both show a willingness to remedy your own defects, there will be little need to criticize each other. And this to me brought a new awakening in me of that, that serenity prayer. You know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which is other people, the courage to change the things I can, which is myself, and the wisdom to know the difference. And where do I get that wisdom? I get that wisdom by walking through the steps. Because before that, I didn't know the difference between my defects and your defects. I didn't know the difference between your ideas and my ideas. But as this wife and this husband concentrate to remedy their own defects, they do not criticize the other person. They work on their own recovery. They will learn to live with each other in harmony. They will learn to live and let live. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would someone else like to share on what was just read? This is Paula, may I share? Yes, Paula, go ahead, please. Thank you. This would be Paula, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And I'm going to kind of scoot down to pretty much the middle here, and I'm going to do a little backward uh, walking here. But The word I want to look at is it says watchwords. Watchwords. Watchwords are passwords. May I tell you what a password is? Or do you? I'm sure you already know. Put your password in, and then you can get into this, this uh, whatever it is, on your computer, on your phone. They always have a password. Now, these are the passwords here. And what are they? Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love are the watchwords or passwords. To go where? To get into what? That fourth dimension, that spiritual way of living. Show him these things in yourself, and they will be reflected back to you from him. Kind of like a mirror. What does a mirror do? You look at a mirror, and it shows you you. And using these words, it shows him what? Patience, tolerance, understanding, and love. That's what we show, and that's what we receive back. But it says here, live and let live is the rule. If you both show a willingness it always begins with willingness. It must. There is no beginning without it. To remedy your own defects. I'm not looking at yours. What I saw was mine. There will be little need to criticize each other. Oh, wow. They're a changed life. Truly, as Kim was saying, change, change, change. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Let's move on to the next two paragraphs, please. Um, Judy B., would you please read the next two paragraphs? Certainly. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B. from Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. We women, we women carry with us a picture of the ideal man the sort of chap he would like, we would like our husbands to be. One moment. <coughs> it is the most natural thing in the world. Once his liquor problem is solved, to feel that he will now measure up to that cherished vision. The chances are he will not, for like, him, like yourself, he is just beginning his development. Be patient. 
Another feeling we are very likely to entertain is one of resentment, that love and loyalty could not cure our husbands of alcoholism. We do not like the thought that the contents of a book or the work of another alcoholic has accomplished in a few weeks that for which we struggled for years. At such moments we forget that alcoholism is an illness over which we could not possibly have had any power. Your husband will be the first to say it was your devotion and care which brought him to the point where he could have a spiritual experience. Without you, he would have gone to pieces long ago. When resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessings. After all, your family is reunited Alcohol is no longer a problem, and you and your husband are working together toward an undreamed-of future. Two beautiful paragraphs, uh, really describing um, what it's like for the family, for the um, for the spouse, and for the addict. What it's what it's like as you're um, as you're all working together to uh, figure out how to live in this strange new world. Uh, where, there, where the addiction has been put down. You know, what it's like uh, as the family progresses through this recovery. And it, and they're telling us it, it's natural to have certain feelings. You know, um, perhaps we have expectations that are very, very high and unrealistic. Or perhaps we want everything to be perfect overnight. And um, that's just not the way it happens. It takes time. Um, and we're we're learning to live as the dynamics change, and they do change. Once one person changes, it affects everybody in the family. And um, on page 84, it talks about we grow in understanding and effectiveness, and this is not an overnight matter. None of this happens instantly. You know, this takes time. It is a progression, and we need to be patient. I love the last sentence in that first paragraph. Be patient. Two words, but oh, so meaningful. And and how can we be patient? We we have to ask God every day, every moment. We just pray in the morning and ask several times during the day, you know, p- please help us uh to be patient and to and to know uh, the next right thought or action. We just, we have to depend on God. Uh, we can't do this alone. And then there's another sentence in the second paragraph that I, that I love. When resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessings. And if we practice that every single day, you know, that, that changes our lives. You know, as... We know this is a disease um, of the mind, and and resentful thoughts do come into our our head. And that's when we have to pause and just realize how fortunate we've been and how how blessed we are. And, you know, these are two beautiful paragraphs showing us how how the family can work together and how things can change. And uh, beautiful instructions in this wonderful big book. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Would someone else like to comment on what was just read? 
This is Janice. Janice, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Miss Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, I love these paragraphs. I love them because it shows so much about expectations, so much about expectations. You know, even the paragraph before, yet you must not expect too much. And then this, these two paragraphs, you know, we carry this picture of this ideal man. You know, these expectations about who we think this man should now be. You know, and those are hard sometimes to let go of, to let go of. You know, the willingness to let go of those preconceived ideas, those preconceived resentments, I heard. Expectations are preconceived resentments. Because then I'm in next week and next month and next year about who this man should be. And these wives had a lot of experience to share in this. You know, and, and the man, they're saying, you know, he has an honest desire. He has an honest desire. He wants to do better. He wants to get well. And this is where the wife can be oh so helpful and oh so useful by hanging on, you know, isn't this patience, tolerance, understanding, and love the real deal, the whole deal, the only deal? Because when we are in this place, when we are practicing that way of thinking, when we are trying to break old habits, you know, those old ways of thinking, those old resentments, you know, those are the things that the wife is fighting against, that I needed to fight against, and to let God take a new place and have a new beginning and be patient and be patient. You know, like myself, it says the chances are he will not be, the chances are he will not, for like yourself, he is just beginning his development. So they were asking the wives that they were talking to to remember that he is like you, just beginning, just beginning in this new way of thinking, this new way of life. And it's not going to be perfect. And that we will keep adjusting and readjusting and adjusting and readjusting in this new way of thinking. Because we, neither of us had any power, neither the husband nor the wife, no human power could relieve us. But God could and would if he were sought. So to bring forth all that love that was deep inside of her, all that love that she had for this man, all that love that we had for our families, that we have for other, one another, and to put it in this new light, you know, to, to take that devotion and that care and that love that has always been there and make it, make it anew, make it anew, because the family is reunited. And isn't that why AA succeeded? Because these men were staying sober and the families were reunited. The outside world was seeing that. But inside the family, you know, they had to work together towards an, a new future, an undreamed of future. But it was going to be one day at a time, one day at a time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. 
This is Victoria, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'd like to comment on what was read. One of the things that stands out to me so strongly in this paragraph is the evidence that after the spouse has struggled for years, the paragraph tells us, to stop, to control the alcoholism, to no avail whatsoever, that the contents of a book or the work of another alcoholic accomplished this in a few weeks. How miraculous, how unthinkable. This is an example of family members seeing the miracle that those of us with the disease of compulsive eating can live when we grab hold of the solution that's offered in this big book and run with it, when we grab hold of the hand of another suffering but recovered compulsive overeater and begin to manifest transformational change that our spouses can see even in a few short weeks. It speaks to the potency and the power of this solution and that people can't make it happen. The alcoholic couldn't make it happen. The spouse couldn't make it happen. Only a spiritual solution and a higher power made it possible. And here is the evidence. The other thing that stands out so strongly for me is that how easy it is to forget that alcoholism is an illness over which we could not possibly have any power. Much of this chapter describes or intimates the family disease, the family disease of alcoholism, the family disease of compulsive eating. We're told in the big book that it is the effects of our own illness of compulsive eating, which has injured and sometimes crippled members of our own family. While the solution is astonishingly potent, so is the disease. And family members are also directly affected by the disease. The effects of alcoholism, the effects of compulsive eating have sickened family members as well. So it's really important for me as an addict to to reckon with that wreckage. Although it's hard to do, it was very hard for me to face when I got honest enough in recovery the real damage that I had done to my family and the absolute necessity of what the paragraph above talks about, which is to remedy my own defects which will leave me with little need to criticize my spouse. So many places in the big book, once again, that high bar is set staying on my side of the street. Why is that? Number one, it's because it's the only way I can recover. Otherwise, I will be diverted and distracted and thrown off course by trying to change other people to control the external environment to satisfy me. 
which I am powerless over. It requires me to accept that I have a devastating illness without help. There is no cure without spiritual help and that my family members have also been affected in very dramatic ways. And this way of life that we are given in the big book is the way out, the solution for all of us. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was just read? This is Leah. Leah, go ahead, please. Thank you so much. We women carry with us a picture of the ideal man, the sort of chap we would like our husbands to be. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, sounds like expectations. Uh, You know, my expectations were my lens to the world and, uh, you know, to the degree that I demanded anything from my husband or for him to be a particular way was my emotional sobriety impossible. You know, because I can't depend on a person for my stability. That was my whole basic flaw. Obviously, this is written to the wives, how to deal with their loved ones who are alcoholics. But the same principles, these concepts, can be applied to each and every one of us. My basic flaw had been this faulty dependence, this faulty dependence on other people like a husband, uh, to supply me with a feeling of security and well-being and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and everything was going to be great. Um, But, uh, you know, I was the architect of my own misery because, you know, (laughs) no one could live up to those expectations. So although it's painful and it seems perhaps unfair to have to work on oneself when the other person seems so obviously wrong, the results are much more rewarding. Why? Because I constantly have that center of calm because it resides deep within me. It's an inner unsuspected resource. If my trust, reliance, and dependency is on God, then I can always get stabilized. Because it's always there. It's always there. And God's love and power and mercy and strength and courage and safety and protection is a constant. It's immeasurable and indestructible. It goes on to say the chances are he will not measure up to your expectations, so to speak, like yourself. He is just beginning his development. Be patient. Recovery process. And the stabilization and the increased health of a marriage takes time. It's not an overnight matter. There is a long period of reconstruction ahead because the elimination of drinking, or in our case, the elimination of our substances, is but the first step away from a highly strained abnormal condition. Because years, as other people commented, years of living with an alcoholic or years of living with people like you and I, real compulsive overeaters, you know, is almost sure to make any wife or any spouse or parent or sibling uh, neurotic because the entire family is to some extent ill. So it takes time. It takes time. In the second paragraph, it says, when resentful thoughts come, try to pause and count your blessing. Here's that pause again. Here's that opportunity, that choice, that privilege that you and I are given because of this program of recovery to pause 
to pray and utilize spiritual energy to find that center of calm. And count your blessings. That's gratitude. So you, you can't go wrong. You've got, you've got pause and you've got gratitude. Um, you know, th- these, these are tools for living. These are the tools for living that work under any situation because every problem is a spiritual problem. After all, your family is reunited. Again, why did, why did AA grow by leaps and bounds? AA grew by leaps and bounds for two primary reasons. Number one, these men and women who were seemingly hopeless recovered. They got sober and they stayed sober. It wasn't a succession of relapse. It was recovered. It was the obsession of the mind had been expelled. They were recoiling from drink as if from a hot flame. They recovered. They became ex-problem drinkers. The problem had been solved. That was, that was reason number one. And reason number two is their families were reunited. Families that were torn apart, divorce that occurred, children that had to go live with grandma and grandpa. All this stuff uh, was able to be resolved and all these people were able to be reunited because the people that implemented these steps and principles in their life were able to bring harmony back into the situation. And it started with each individual trying to be the best person they can be and live the way they thought God intended them to be. That was the message of hope, and that was why AA grew by leaps and bounds. <laughs> it was a message of hope and salvation that no one could deny. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to comment on what was read? All right, then let's move on to the next paragraph. Fran, would you please read, beginning with Still Another Difficulty? Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Fran, Compulsive Overeater. Still another difficulty is that you may become jealous of the attention he bestows on other people, especially alcoholics. You have been starving for his companionship. Yet he spends long hours helping other men and their families. You feel he should now be yours. The fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful. Your house is filled with strangers. You may not like some of them. He gets stirred up about their troubles, but not at all about yours. It will do little good if you point out and urge more attention for yourself. We find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm for alcoholic work. You should join in his efforts as much as you possibly can. We suggest that you direct some of your thought to the wives of his new alcoholic friends. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. And that is just such beautiful direction there. Once again, turn it back to what I can do to change myself and to create an environment of love and tolerance in my home. And um, both sides need to work on it. And I think for me, sometimes uh, uh, 
jealousy can get in there and, and it's something that I have to stamp out. I have to just say, no, I'm not having it that way. God does not want me to be jealous of his attention to anything, even if it's, you know, something he's doing to keep himself occupied, like carpentry or painting or whatever it is. He's doing he's doing something that's helping him. I need to turn it around and help someone else and not be so selfish and jealous. And I'm working on these issues every day, and I have to just, um, you know, cast that stuff out and just learn to love and help someone else. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Would someone else like to briefly comment on what was read? All right. Well, I would like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Fran, would you read, please, from A Vision for You? Fran, are you there? All right, is there... um, Melanie, are you here? Could you read A Vision for You on page 164, please? Thank you. My name is Melanie, Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.